Vox Quick Hits. What you're about to hear is just a preview of a much longer and deeper conversation. And trust me, you're going to want to hear the rest of it. You can find the full episode of Vox Conversations wherever you listen to podcast. That's Vox Conversations. On today's show, my dear friend and colleague, Zach Beecham. Zach talks with author and U.S. editor of The New Statesman, Emily Tampkin. They talk about the life and legacy of George Soros. I've read a lot about this person because Emily and I share an interest in Hungarian politics. And Soros is, of course, Hungarian by background uh, and Hungarian-American. And there's a lot of funny stuff in the book about Hungary specifically and things that resonated with both of our experiences. But I think before we dive into modern-day Hungary, which is really important in the Soros story, Emily, we should probably start with his origins, right? Because even that is a point of contention now. You have some people who say that he was a Nazi collaborator, which is, which is not true. In fact, he was, a, he was a victim of the Holocaust. Exactly. I think you need to begin at the beginning because you need to understand the world into which Soros was born and that he survived, both because it's key to understanding his outlook on life and on philanthropy and because it's key to understanding some of the, particularly the Hungarian lines about him. So Soros is born in 1930 in the interwar period. Hungary has just lost World War I and as a result, has lost a tremendous chunk of its territory through the Treaty of Trianon uh, for a variety of reasons, because the World War I government in Hungary had Jewish advisors and because the communist government that briefly ruled after had people of Jewish descent at the very top. Long story short, Jews got blamed. So Zoltan Kovács, who is now the spokesperson, said is reported to have said that for Hungarian Jews, the Holocaust was the most tragic thing. But for other Hungarians, it was the Treaty of Trianon. And I bring this up at the beginning because I think it's important to understand that Hungarian Jews thought of themselves as Hungarian at this point, right? This was a very assimilated population that also felt the pain of the loss of the war and that was blamed for it. So Soros is born into this world. His father had, had survived a Russian prison camp during the war and made his way back to Hungary and understood that there were steps that needed to be taken. So before World War II, he changed the family name from Schwartz to Soros to try to make it less, obviously, Jewish-sounding. And then once Hungary, Hungary was originally allied with Nazi Germany, but then the Nazis came and occupied Hungary. And he understands, there, there's a line in Tividar Soros', Soros father, Tividar's book, Masquerade, which is actually a great read. Basically, he says, we couldn't stand up to Hitler's fury, so we had to hide from it. So he gets both forged and borrowed documents and Soros and his family and friends and friends of friends hide out during the war. At one point, Soros was hiding out with someone who went to take an accounting of what was in a Jewish person's house, which is where this story that Soros was a Nazi collaborator comes from. And I really have to say, I, I want to stress that of all of the you know myths and conspiracy theories and rumors that I have heard about him, that to me is the ugliest, right? That somebody who survived this horrible, oppressive, hateful regime would be called a collaborator with it when he was a teenager trying to survive. Anyway, he he did survive. So he survives. Nazi rule makes it out of socialist Hungary and goes to study in London. And I think that it's extremely important to note that this experience, right, of making it out of two regimes in which there's a right way to think and a wrong way to think, in which there's a right way to be and a wrong way to be, in which the very fact of who you are can literally get you killed, that that happened during his formative years. 
And these lessons really shape the way that he grows up as an adult, right? So one thing that that comes through really clearly in the book is that his experiences, his his trauma as a youth really opened his eyes to the dangers of right-wing nationalism in addition to the dangers of authoritarianism writ large, uh, right, which is um, not – unfamiliar or uncommon. My my grandparents were both Holocaust survivors as well on my mom's side. And my grandfather, you, you can see, I, I didn't, my grandmother died before I was born, but my grandfather, when I talked to him, you could really see the political influence of the experience of being persecuted. And in their case, being in, in death camps and put on death marches, right? It would manifest in small ways, like refusing to buy German cars, and also in big ways, in profoundly orienting the way that that he thought about and approached politics or and how he picked issues that he cared about and what overall shaped his frame of political interventions. And now Soros is, is a little bit different, right? Because my grandfather came to the United States and became a furrier, but Soros came to the United States and eventually, after a stop in London, he became an incredibly successful financier, right? Real real mm-hmm. difference in orders of magnitude of power yeah. <laughs> in, in these two cases. But he chose to use that influence that he built up in the financial world to act on these beliefs that, that grew out of his experiences as well as his schooling in London. Right. So in this stop in London, he studies at the London School of Economics under a tutor by the name of Karl Popper. Karl Popper wrote this book called Open Society and Its Enemies. And the Vastly oversimplified version is that, like, Zach, neither you nor I has a perfect understanding. I but mean, maybe, speak for yourself here. But. Right. <laughs> um, but, okay, so so you do, but <laughs> I don't. And if I had another podcast host, they wouldn't. But in this conversation, we can come to a more perfect understanding, right? And this appealed to him, I think, for obvious reasons, right? There these totalitarian regimes that thought they knew absolute truth, they didn't. So he... He starts a financial career in London, makes his way to New York, sets up his own hedge fund, becomes extremely wealthy, and then has this moment where he's running through the streets of London and he's under all this pressure and and he's worried about his health in his own telling, has this moment where he's like, I'm making all this money and what is it, what is it all for? I don't want to die just because I made money. I want to do something with it. And he says that what he really cared about was this idea of an open society. And this is sort of where the philanthropic part starts. And in 1979... He goes from just being this very successful person in finance to a very successful person in philanthropy. If you like the show, let us know. Room for improvement, we want to hear that too. We're curious to know what you think, what you want more of, what we can improve. And if you have ideas for a future guest, guest host, or topics, send us your thoughts at voxconversations at vox.com. And hey, if you like this episode, share it with your friends, rate and review and come back next week for a brand new episode. Thanks so much for listening.